This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by The Weather Channel. The key to solving any mystery? Smart decisions based on the facts. In the case of the weather's effect on your well-being, turn to the Weather Channel app. It clues you in on how weather shapes your mood, health, and productivity with insights built on reliable forecast data to help you thrive. Because mystery belongs in true crime, not weather. Be a force of nature with the Weather Channel app. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Due to the graphic nature of this cult's crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode of Cults includes discussions of graphic material that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for listeners under 13. Hi, I'm Greg Polson. And I'm Vanessa Richardson. And this is Cults. Today we're taking a look at Jimmy T. Roberts and the Brethren, or as some critics have called them, garbage eaters due to their chosen method of getting meals. If you want to listen to any previous episodes of Cults, you can find them on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify, or on our website, parcast.com, spelled P-A-R-C-A-S-T dot com. And don't forget to subscribe while you're there, because a new episode comes out every Tuesday. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast, and on Twitter at Parcast Network. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. In 1971, Jimmy T. Roberts started The Brethren, an evangelical Christianity-based cult that grew out of the Jesus People movement. The movement spread quickly throughout the United States in the 1970s, particularly in California and Colorado, drawing in lost but intelligent university students. The Brethren took certain biblical passages to an extreme. They believed that in order to reach salvation, one must give up worldly possessions, jobs, relationships, sex, and family. They traveled in near-homeless conditions, picking through garbage for food. At its height, the Brethren had around 200 members, though an exact number is impossible to say. Since 1975... The members have been living in small communes all over the United States, sometimes in groups as small as three people. The Brethren are still in operation today, even though Jimmy Roberts died in 2015. In part one, we'll dive into Jimmy T. Roberts' life and what led him to eventually gather a group of followers so devoted that they left behind their entire lives, their finances, and every relationship they had 
to follow the so-called elder evangelist across the United States. In part two, we'll learn about the followers of the Brethren, their belief systems, day-to-day operations, and the effects the Brethren had on these individuals. We'll also hear from ex-members who have bravely spoken out against the Brethren, as well as the families of current members who continue to worry about the safety of their loved ones. So let's begin with Jimmy T. Roberts, whose lonely, poverty-stricken, and religious upbringing made him the man who one day led this strange flock of devoted followers. Paducah, Kentucky is a small town of about 25,000 people nestled on the banks of the Ohio River, 137 miles from the nearest big city of Nashville, Tennessee, Paducah is the largest community in its county and is currently home to the National Quilting Museum. But in 1939, when James T. Roberts was born to Lizzie Mae Gore and Coy Roberts, Paducah was still recovering from the 1937 flood that marked the biggest natural disaster in Paducah history. It was not a wealthy town, but the Roberts family's financial situation was particularly bad. According to the Watchman Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian anti-cult movement, the Roberts family lived in a bad area of town. While his mother made ends meet by working full-time at a local drugstore, his father couldn't hold down a steady job, and the family struggled financially. Which, as we know, can really affect a child's mindset growing up. Vanessa's going to take over on the psychology here and throughout the episode. Please note, Vanessa is not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist, but she has done a lot of research for this show. Thanks, Greg. Many studies have been done over the years about how socioeconomics and environment have a link to childhood development, especially to academic achievement. By all accounts, Jimmy Roberts was quiet, not a good student, and a bit of a loner. This makes sense given, according to a 2003 Princeton study, experiencing extreme poverty at a young age leads to a lower rate of school success and social success. That level of poverty and instability may have contributed to Robert's inability to connect with other children his age for the entirety of his school years. Other children who have experienced similar periods of peer group isolation tend to either lash out or search desperately for communities where they feel like they belong. According to psychological studies, peer rejection often affects children at risk, which is defined by the Department of Educational and Counseling Psychology as, quote, a set of identifiers, things like race, sex, sexual orientation, gender identity, class and education, and family income that render them at risk for developing into healthy and productive adults. End quote. Given Robert's reported dislike of school and his unsteady home life, friends were few and far between, which undoubtedly caused him to seek acceptance later in life. Not much is known about Robert's youth, but Robert seemed to struggle with his family and his relationship with his parents and five siblings. Reportedly, he was never close with any of his siblings and never connected in a social or loving way with his family. This is evident as, within the Brethren, Roberts taught that the flesh family is evil, unworthy, and the enemy, creating a classic cult, us-versus-them mentality. But while Roberts' family and social life was turbulent, he was brought up with one constant, religion. There, Roberts found a place where he could finally fit in. 
His father, Coy Roberts, was a part-time preacher at the Church of Jesus Christ, a local evangelical church that operated through the 1940s and 50s. His mother was a member of the United Pentecostal Church, which rejected the idea of the Holy Trinity. That's the idea that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are separate entities that are also one and the same God. Many Pentecostal faiths believe in the Trinitarian doctrine, but certain evangelical offshoots do not. It seems that idea took root with Roberts, as the Brethren became a specifically anti-Trinitarian sect. It's clear that religion and belief played a big part in Robert's childhood. It wasn't long before he, too, stepped up to the pulpit. At 15, he was already preaching part-time at his mother's Pentecostal church, where she recounts him saying, Hell is hot and there is no ice water. Roberts was a hellfire preacher, a preacher who used the threat of hell to motivate his congregation to moral righteousness, even at a young age. Standing up at that pulpit and preaching about right and wrong, good and evil, it placed Roberts right at the center of the church, even if it was temporary. Perhaps this is where he began to realize that his beliefs were worth expressing and that others would find them worth listening to. One of the big differences between a Christianity-based cult and a mainstream Christian church, like either of the ones that Robert's parents attended, is the focus of the liturgy. A mainstream church focuses on the accepted interpretations of scripture, often allowing for a personal interpretation as well. Whereas a cult places greater significance on one person's unorthodox interpretation of scripture. Cults focus on the leader, and the leader's claim to be the sole keeper of salvation, rather than focusing on the paths to salvation outlined in the Bible. Maybe it was on that pulpit in 1954 that Roberts first began to think that he alone knew the best way to save people's souls. Even if that was the case, all Roberts knew to do at this point was how to preach like an evangelical, with a focus on the words of the Bible. He didn't know how to attract followers to his specific brand of Christianity, much less how to keep them under his control. But his experience in the military and his time among the Jesus People movement gave him the template he needed to create his own authoritarian religious cult. We'll return to our story in just a moment. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. And now, back to our story. Jimmy T. Roberts graduated high school in 1957, but didn't have any luck in the workforce right out of school. Seeking out a new community where he might find acceptance, 
Roberts joined the Marines in 1958 at the young age of 19. While not confirmed, it's probable that Roberts never communicated with his family again after leaving home. He was only in the Marines a short time, a span of just over two years, and by all accounts, it was largely uneventful beyond rising to the rank of sergeant before leaving in 1961. It's unclear why he left, but the Watchman Fellowship reports that he was honorably discharged. These two years in the Corps had a heavy influence on Roberts. He claimed that he became disillusioned with military life, preferring the draw of the church instead. But it's interesting to note that Roberts took to the stability of military life more than he let on, and more than I think he realized. Roberts took the survival skills he learned in the Marines, such as foraging, hunting, and isolation, very seriously, later imparting on his followers that living a simple life off the land was the only way to truly seek salvation. And the structure Roberts learned in the military, blind adherence to a superior, is the same structure he put in place in the Brethren. In the book Recovery from Cults, Michael Langone points out that cults are successful at quote, obtaining substantial control over an individual's time and thought content, typically by gaining control over major elements of the person's social and physical environment, end quote. In this way, cults operate a lot like other authoritarian groups, like the military. Lower-ranking individuals willingly surrender their day-to-day choices to the decisions of a higher authority and people who are promoted through the ranks are able to go from a state of powerlessness to one of responsibility and authority. When Roberts was promoted to sergeant rank, he might have gotten a taste of that power and control over others. Clearly, he took to it. Eventually, he came to believe that he deserved it. Combined with his desire for communal acceptance and validation that stemmed from an isolated childhood, it's not hard to see that Roberts may have developed some narcissistic traits during this time. Most people believe narcissism is an overabundance of confidence and inflated self-esteem. But according to the American Psychological Association, narcissism is in fact a lack of self-esteem. Narcissists are often the most insecure person in the room, but they develop the ability to portray themselves as anything but. In the words of California state professor and renowned psychologist, Dr. Ramani Durvasila, quote, there are four pillars to narcissism, lack of empathy, grandiosity, a chronic sense of entitlement, and a chronic need to seek out admiration from other people and validation from other people, end quote. With all that brewing in his psyche, Roberts left the military in 1961 and began to travel the United States. He spent most of this time in relative seclusion, moving from town to town, picking up odd jobs here and there. He never truly settled anywhere during this time, and this may have contributed to feelings of isolation and loneliness. It's important to note that throughout most of the 1960s, Roberts didn't join any new congregations. He didn't preach, and he didn't make any personal associations within his faith. For all intents and purposes, Robert spent most of his 20s lost and wandering, something he may not have seen as entirely a negative. In the Christian faith, the imagery of Jesus as a wanderer is pervasive, both in the Bible itself, but more importantly, in the narrative of the evangelical church, and eventually, the brethren. Many evangelical faiths, specifically non-denominational Christians and Pentecostal sects, 
believed that to be truly like Jesus Christ, one must give up all earthly possessions. This belief is bolstered by such biblical verses as Matthew 19:21, quote, Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me, end quote. With that sentiment driving him, Roberts may have felt like Jesus himself while wandering the country. There is one interesting story from this part of his life we want to touch on, and that's his time in Chicago. It looks like he spent more than the usual amount of time in Chicago in the late 1960s, even holding down a semi-stable job. According to the Watchman Fellowship, there was a reason, a romantic relationship. Very little is known about this relationship with a young woman from Chicago, but we do know the aftermath. At some point, Roberts was rejected, and the relationship ended badly, a failure in Roberts' mind. According to a study by the psychology department of the University of Michigan, quote, because narcissists care deeply about maintaining their grandiose self-views, they respond with aggression, conflict, and hostility against those who insult or criticize them, end quote. A negative response from someone Roberts cared about would have triggered those defensive reflexes of his narcissistic personality, protecting an idealized version of who he was and why he was important that he had created for himself. As with many narcissists, maintaining belief in that idealized version of himself was important to Robert's self-esteem. Roberts likely rationalized his failure. It wasn't his actions that caused the end of the relationship, but hers. Or in this particular case, Roberts took issue with the nature of physical relationships themselves. We know that after this relationship, his views on sexuality went from conservative to downright puritanical. The Brethren cult allowed no physical or sexual contact between its members. Roberts preached that sexuality of any kind was immoral, evil, and against the will of God. Roberts, as far as anyone can tell, never again had any sort of intimate relationship, sexual or non-sexual. So reeling from this romantic rejection, Roberts once again sought out a community where he could find acceptance. And what better place to look for acceptance than a variation on the evangelical Christianity that so bolstered him as a child? During the late 1960s, while he was in Chicago, but after his relationship fell apart, Roberts had an encounter with a radical Christian cult that renewed his faith. They were called the Jesus People. According to the Watchman Fellowship, Roberts had a run-in with one of these Jesus People right before he moved to Missoula, Montana in the late 1960s. He was almost 30, his relationship had failed, and he was in desperate search for a community that made him feel he was part of something bigger. The Jesus People gave him that. There isn't an account of what exactly happened between Roberts and the Jesus people of Chicago in the late 1960s, but we do know a little bit about their ministry and what might have sparked with Roberts to create his own congregation of Jesus people in the early 1970s. The Jesus people movement was established on the west coast of the United States in the early 1960s. Like the Brethren cult, they did not gain an especially large following until the 1970s, when they were seen as evangelical hippies. 
The Jesus People started in California as a moralistic response to the 1960s, specifically to the war in Vietnam, the formality of established churches, and the turn-on, tune-in, drop-out youth culture. They were young people who claimed to get high on Jesus as opposed to the popular drugs of the time. It was a movement both of and separate from the counterculture. The Jesus people practiced a newer, younger, and more culturally aware form of evangelical Christianity. One with followers willing to give up their comfortable mid-century lifestyles to truly walk in Jesus' footsteps. They lived a simple lifestyle, much like Roberts did at this time. Many didn't have homes, but traveled constantly with only the clothes on their backs, picking up odd jobs here and there to survive. Most lived in very poor or near-poverty conditions, but claimed that this was to further follow and identify with the word of the Bible. While there was a cultural proclivity for free and loose sexual morals at the time, the Jesus people rebelled against that by practicing, in their opinions, righteous modesty and abstinence. They also abstained from alcohol and drug use. The Jesus People movement had an impact on mainstream Christianity going forward, bringing evangelicalism out of small communities and into the cultural zeitgeist. In the early 1970s, right around the time that Roberts established the Brethren, attention from secular and Christian media caused the Jesus People movement to explode. Disenfranchised young people across the country flocked to join something they believed had purpose and meaning, donating all their money and possessions to the church to live a communal life of asceticism. It was, at its core, an accepting communal movement, not one tied down by the conformities of well-established churches. But what appealed most to Roberts was the belief system of the Jesus People movement. They were a restorationist movement, hoping to return to the life of the early Christians. They held decidedly evangelical beliefs about miracles, faith healings, and the power of prayer, and they emphasized the primacy of the word of the Bible. Taking additional inspiration from the counterculture movement, they also emphasized intentional community encouraging followers to live and work together on communes. Small communes of Jesus people cropped up across the country, establishing a single leader and following them in their teachings. Each operated individually and autonomously, with the needs of the group overpowering the needs of the individual for all involved. This touched on Robert's childhood fascination with evangelical religion and reminded him of the power those first few churches had over both himself and others. And the communal aspect touched on his desire for attention, acceptance, and belonging. According to the Chicago Tribune, one such commune, known as Jesus People USA, was organized around verses laid out in the Bible. From Hebrews 13:17, quote, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, end quote. From Acts 4.32, quote, No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything in common. End quote. And from Matthew 25.45, Whatever you did not do for the least of my brothers, you did not do for me. End quote. It's easy to see how this system could be exploited by less altruistic leaders. In fact, According to Graham Polkingham, a leader of the Christian rock movement that stemmed from the Jesus people, in his book, They Left Their Nets, 
Many of these communes, at one point or another, became troublingly authoritarian in nature. In Recovery from Cults, Michael Langone points out a crucial difference between cults and generally authoritarian groups. Quote, Cults differ from merely authoritarian groups, such as boot camp or certain monastic orders, in that the latter are explicit about their goals, are contractual rather than seductive, and usually are accountable to authorities outside the group, end quote. These differences can be imperceptible in practice. A priest or soldier following orders can seem on the surface very similar to a cult member. This subtlety is something the manipulative Jimmy Roberts relished and used to rationalize his followers' dependence. That rationalization was important because by maintaining a closed system of logic and control over his followers' physical environment, time, and thought content, Roberts was able to isolate them entirely. It's very likely that Roberts saw this Jesus People movement as the perfect way to gather followers and feed his ego's need for attention, control, and self-serving admiration. This gave Roberts the means to feed his narcissism and retain his goal image as someone worth being admired in a manner beyond the norm. Another way that the leaders of the Jesus People were able to keep their followers under their control was through a tenant of belief called the gifts of the Spirit. This general idea is something seen in several different evangelical communities, including the Brethren. It's the idea that all people are given innate gifts or abilities by the Holy Spirit. These gifts can manifest as anything from channeling the Spirit to faith heal, or to speak in tongues, or to become a natural conduit for the Word of God. When joining the Jesus people, these gifts or talents could be accessed if the elders of the church said you've been divinely chosen. That attention, in and of itself, granted certain followers power and notoriety among other church members. This is different than traditional Protestant belief systems, which contest that one's talents and gifts are to be found in your personal relationship with the Holy Spirit the leaders of the Jesus People movement were able to wield much more power and control over their followers since they were the ones who decided who was special and not God. But perhaps the most concerning of the Jesus People's tactics was the leader's absolute authority over romantic relationships. According to the Chicago Tribune, JPUSA was very tightly managed. New members were not allowed to date for one year after joining. When they did decide to pursue romantic relationships, members were strongly encouraged or even required to get leadership approval before marrying. Couples were also required to get permission before having children. With Robert's background in evangelical and militaristic authoritarianism, perhaps this seemed to him the next logical step. Inspired by the tactics of the Jesus people, Roberts eventually honed and perfected these tactics until he was able to assert total control over the lives and decisions of his followers. But he probably wasn't thinking about all of that, at least not yet. At this point in Roberts' life, he was lost and looking for somewhere to belong. Maybe the Jesus People movement represented a kind of hope, hope that he could return to a place he loved and a doctrine he knew hoped that he could be part of something bigger than himself. Which brings us to 1971, Missoula, Montana. Roberts, now 32, set up a small congregation of followers, about 40. 
Roberts had moved away from the Jesus people model by this point and was operating a small congregation of new Christians, his Christians. Over the course of the years, he became powerful enough to lead a cult of several hundred, willing to go farther for him than anyone thought possible. The cult leader, the elder, Jimmy Roberts, was now born. We'll return to our story in just a moment. With Capella University's FlexPath format, you can set your own deadlines, learn at your pace, and access most coursework from anywhere at any time. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. And now back to cults. Operating out of a small church in Missoula in 1971, Jimmy Roberts surrounded himself with a group of fellow Christians that not only shared his evangelical beliefs, but a growing hatred of the world. The early brethren believed that the world had taken so much from them and that the world had given them nothing in return. They no longer wanted to participate in the culture around them. After observing the methods used by leaders in the Jesus people to keep their followers under control, it's not a surprise that Roberts was able to successfully convince his adherents to follow him. But it was time to expand beyond these initial numbers. Roberts set to work, convincing the lonely and the lost that they could find meaning and salvation among the brethren. Recruiting was one of Roberts' sole action items for his followers, preaching that the brethren could change the world through accessing the disenfranchised and lonely youth. Roberts knew firsthand from his lost years in his 20s that young adults were looking for a place to belong. The brethren could be that place. Roberts started on college and university campuses, targeting counterculture groups like so-called rainbow gatherings, where young college students and adults gathered to talk counterculture and do drugs like LSD. A former member describes his introduction to the Brethren, quote, I gave up college to pursue a life of philosophy, simple living, and following fish around the country on drugs. I began by moving to my friend's place in Miami from D.C. I read a book given to me, and I decided Jesus was the way. I met an elder at a rainbow gathering. He taught things that convinced me they are on the right track, end quote. By targeting vulnerable young adults, Roberts was able to grow his following quickly using the basic tenets of Christianity and his arsenal of coercive tactics to convince his flock that he alone could lead them towards a life of goodness. The Brethren's beliefs started out pretty mainstream in terms of Christian doctrine. They sought to reach God's kingdom by abstaining from sin, which is the same focus as many major Christian denominations. But it was the elders' unique definition of sin and the resulting religious tenets and demands on his followers that made the Roberts group different. And there were a lot of demands. Upon joining, members accepted a life of poverty, simplicity, and isolation. They cut off contact with people outside of the Brethren 
and abstain from television, newspapers, movies, or pop culture of any kind. It was all a pathway to sin. In The Raincoat People, former Brethren member Leslie Elizabeth Smales describes Roberts as grandiose and paranoid. In reality, cult leaders are almost always narcissists who believe that their viewpoint on the world is worth following without question or rebuke. That's evident in Robert's control of the Brethren and the many tactics he used to enforce that control. He forced his new followers to change their names and abandon their identities. He would change the names of new members to ancient Greek or Roman words, split up married couples into non-sexual pairs, and separate children from their parents once he deemed them old enough to become elders of the church. New members, especially at the beginning of the Brethren, handed their wealth over to Roberts and the other members for the benefit of the group over the individual. The Brethren was very careful on this front not to require members to give their funds to the group, but to strongly encourage it. Roberts didn't want to be accused of stealing or have any involvement with the legal system. So he preached that contributing was right and just, but not required. By making his members dependent on each other, and to a larger extent him, Roberts initiated and controlled the level of their social isolation. He and his followers would constantly move from place to place, sometimes across the country and at a moment's notice. By establishing control over the location and movements of his followers, Roberts was able to create an environment of instability and dependence. Members were forced to sever all ties to their natural family, slowly pulling away until they were lost, seemingly forever. Family members of ex and current members say followers were often forced to taper off writing letters to home until they sent one final message. They were cutting all contact. Don't try to find them. Roberts backed up his decrees with verses from the Bible that appeared to support his instructions. This quote from Matthew 10, 34 to 37 is part of how he convinced his followers that it was right and just to cast out their non-believer families. Quote, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me." End quote. Roberts used quotes like these to influence his supporters to do his bidding without question. He learned from his time in the Jesus group that by picking and choosing which parts to preach and how to preach them, Roberts could ensure that his followers got exactly the message he wanted them to. In this instance, his message was intended to isolate his followers physically as well as emotionally from any outside support network or any form of authority outside of his own. This type of manipulation comes back to what the book Recovery from Cults calls a, quote, systematic creation of powerlessness within a person, end quote. By creating this cycle of dependence and powerlessness within his followers, Roberts was able to establish himself as the only stability in a world full of enemies, including the people they once loved. It's a dangerous place for an individual to be, especially when something as dire as their eternal salvation was on the line. 
But his most successful tactic for controlling his followers was fear. Fear of retribution, fear of punishment, and fear of losing the one and only connection to God and salvation. Former member of the Brethren, Jim Guerra, an author of the book From Dean's List to Dumpsters, describes the moment he decided to leave the Brethren. Quote, Roberts turned on me, telling me how ungrateful I was for all that the church had done for me and how they rescued me from the abomination called Harvard and that I always had been an unstable brother. End quote. Members who left Roberts' company described him as all or nothing, and once followers left him, they were evil, against God, and never spoken of again. Either you were with the brethren or against them. The punishment for associating outside of the brethren was expulsion and a life without salvation. By creating and enforcing rules that kept members feeling like they could be admonished and excommunicated at any time, Roberts held firmly onto his flock. For a couple of years, things seemed to be going well for Elder Roberts and the Brethren. As long as the 200 or so members were able to fly under the radar, they could live as Roberts commanded them to. But they couldn't stay entirely out of the public eye, not with so many college students abandoning their old lives. Over the course of the mid-70s, Desperate parents brought unwanted police and press attention to the Brethren as they searched for their missing children. But Roberts knew that the key to maintaining control was in keeping his people completely isolated. So Roberts did his best to take himself and his followers out of the public eye and disappear forever. Thanks again for tuning into Cults. Next week, we'll talk about Robert's decision to split his followers into isolated cells, the people Robert's convinced to drop out of society with him, and their parents' panicked attempts to bring them home. If you want to listen to any previous episodes of Cults, you can find them on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify, or on our website, parcast.com, spelled P-A-R-C-A-S-T dot if you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review or tell us what you think on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram as at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. It seems simple, but it really helps our show. Join us next Tuesday as we continue to investigate Jimmy Roberts and the Brethren. Cults was created by Max Cutler and is a production of Cutler Media and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire, Carly Madden, and Jeanette Manning. Cults is written by Lauren Bradley and stars Greg Polson and Vanessa Richardson. <laughs>